Dwight Sal, and welcome back to the Finishing First Podcast. I am your host, Frank Skrzewski at the F609. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Michael O'Byrne. Mike, how are we doing on this fine Friday? We're doing great. Uh, recording live from Perrysburg, Ohio, not Louisville, Kentucky, uh, on this fine occasion. Shout out to Toledo Rockets. Everybody knows I'm the biggest Rockets guy out there. Men's uh, men's basketball team got screwed out of an NCAA tournament this year, but uh, they're looking to bounce back next year. Uh, visiting the old uh, family, always nice to get that uh, Midwestern love up in Ohio, I'm sure. Shout out to the Buckeye State, but not the Buckeyes, Frank. There you go. That sounds fair. All right. I would like to thank everybody for the support on all of our streaming platforms. I saw a bunch of you were able to download and favorite the podcast. So we appreciate the support, hoping to make it a little bit easier for you to find us and download each week. Also, we have a few housekeeping notes. Um, We had a rules discrepancy these past weeks. Three duplicate picks in the Monaco Grand Prix. Well, actually, it was two picks in the Spanish Grand Prix that were duplicate that I did not catch until the Monaco Grand Prix and a duplicate pick for the Monaco Grand Prix. So just to set a precedent, when a pick is duplicated, it will um, follow the same rules similar to a no pick. You will get the lowest selected driver that in qualifying that is available to you. So for both of, uh, I think for all three, it was most likely Nicholas Latifi or uh, Guan Yu Zhou this week. Once again, it was kind of a throwaway pick anyway, but just make sure that you are using the spreadsheet to your advantage to make sure that you guys have the easiest possible uh, way of finding your picks and making selections. Let's just head right into Monaco. I know uh, you're a little bit busy on uh, a semi-vacation going out there for a wedding. Let's get right into it. We will start right with qualifying for the Monaco Grand Prix. There wasn't too much to talk about in free practices as it seemed like most drivers were trying to keep it close to their chest on strategy and speed for the Monaco Grand Prix um, because it is so tight. A lot of drivers were seen kind of taking it easier around certain turns. They didn't want to put anything into the walls and have their mechanics do too much work over the course of the weekend so we'll get right in the qualifying results here Charles Leclerc comes out on pole he sets a home pole in his home country of Monaco Carlos Sainz coming in second Sergio Perez in third Max Verstappen in fourth Lando Norris coming to round out the top five George Russell Fernando Alonso Lewis Hamilton Valtteri Bottas or excuse me Sebastian Vettel and Esteban Ocon any just quick thoughts from qualifying here? Charles sets pole at home in Monaco. Obviously, the big crash at the end of Q3 leads to um, the current grid order we have. I don't think it would have changed too much since Charles was on an absolute stellar lap um, to close out Q3. But Sergio Perez spins out, entering the tunnel on the final lap, Causes a quite a traffic jam. Carlos Sainz hits him. Red flags immediately. And qualifying ends to give you the results that I just listed. Yeah, uh, it was actually a pretty interesting qualifying. We said not much happened in free practice. I think if there was anything of note, it was the pace of Pierre Gasly. And uh, if you took the bait and took Pierre Gasly this week, you were not happy with his qualifying session. Um, You referenced the kind of quasi crash at the end of Q3, but there was also another incident involving Yuki Sonoda in Q1 that kept Pierre Gasly from 
going on his push lap in Q1 and kept him from advancing to Q2, as well as a few other uh, cars as well. It was uh, it was a weird qualifying. It was a weird Q1 specifically. But yeah, I think that's the note coming out of qualifying is we were expecting Pierre Gasly to finish much higher and ultimately didn't make it out of Q1. Pierre Gasly was the top selected driver this week in our pool. Uh, I think he had six total selections. As Mike referenced, he kind of got screwed out of a Q1 and came in 17th. Because he came in 17th, he actually uh, caused a little bit of stuff that we'll go into later during the race because his need to try to push to move up spots. But it was a tough one for anyone who selected Pierre Gasly in the pool to see it qualifying. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I The only other thing of note for me, I think, is a disappointing performance out of Valtteri Botas um, in qualifying. Uh, I referenced on our last pod kind of me thinking that I was potentially going to be taking Valtteri Botas this week just because of how well he's performed here and qualified here in the past. That was not the case. Actually missed free practice one completely and uh, just didn't have the pace in qualifying to get out of Q2. So, yeah, I don't believe anybody selected Valtteri Botas this week, but... Yeah, disappointing performance from him. Another storyline coming out of qualifying was Max Verstappen coming in, qualifying in fourth. Max did not look to have pace throughout the Monaco Grand Prix. And as we'll see a little bit later, um, the car certainly had pace with uh, Sergio Perez. So it was a point of note that Max just seemed very uncomfortable at the track all weekend. And finally, uh, my biggest note coming out of qualifying is when I read down the top 10 of qualifying, other than Sebastian Vettel replacing Daniel Ricciardo, the top 10 of qualifying is showing you the top half of F1 right now. The Red Bulls, the Ferraris, the two Mercedes, Lando Norris, both Alpines, and that's it. Daniel Ricciardo, Sebastian Vettel, Valtteri Bottas can fight and qualify wherever they want in, within that top 10. But you are seeing the formation of what you'll see for the rest of the season, I believe in uh, this actual race the cream of the crop has risen so far and um, other than a few outliers this is what i think i believe we'll see moving forward yeah no i tend to agree with you frank i think the only surprise kind of coming out of monaco qualifying um based on what we saw in barcelona is the fact that the mercedes are still having some of those same porpoising issues that they uh thought that they fixed going into barcelona definitely had better results in barcelona but uh as we'll see when we talk about the grand prix not the uh not the result that i think mercedes was looking at looking to get coming out of this weekend okay mike we will go right into the race results then of the monaco grand prix sergio perez takes his third victory career victory all time his first of the season carlos signs finishing in second place max Verstappen to round out the podium in third hometown charles leclerc struggles on pole to come out in fourth George Weasel Russell continues his top five streak for this season, finishing in fifth. Lando Norris, Fernando Alonso, Lewis Hamilton, Valtteri Boltas, and Sebastian Vettel. As you can see, while there was some jumbling of the top ten, the top ten pretty much stayed the same and actually would have basically remained exactly the same had it not been for an Estepan Akon five-second penalty that uh, pushed him off of the points. Mike, real quick, give me your quick race uh, thoughts, because when I just list the outcome, it certainly does not tell all the story. My initial thoughts are 
really there was so much that happened on Sunday in Monaco and none of it really had to do with anything that went on during the race. Yeah, Mike, that does seem that there was a lot going on, but not a lot going on with the drivers on the particular track while racing. So the biggest story of the morning uh, and leading up to the race was the rain. Rain was projected. Rain got pushed back. Rain disappeared. Monaco, in its own little microclimate, then produced. The rain started to pour right after the national anthem as the drivers were getting in the car. This will be probably the only time all year that we will cover our national anthem, but the Monaco Grand Prix made Charles Leclerc stand alone during the national anthem while all other 19 drivers stood behind him. It was exactly what I thought this would be as a hometown pole sitter. The All eyes were on him. This was his race to lose, but just the foreshadowing of it, of him standing alone there, kind of just showed you how he stood alone off the podium at the end of this race yeah uh definitely a tough situation for charles it's hard to tell whether or not it was really his fault in any of this all the teams kind of had a really tough time determining what to do after the really heavy rain started coming down which wasn't anticipated obviously the reason he finishes off the podium is because they call him into the pit and then tell him to go back out but he's already too far into the pit lane and then ends up coming out in fourth. And that's where he finishes. So tough week for Charles Leclerc, but so what are you going to do? The race was set to begin as the rain poured. Uh, we had a slight delay during that, which uh, the rain just started and there was a technical outage with some electrical plant in Monaco proper. So there was a 15-minute delay to start the race. This allowed time for the FIA to allow teams to switch over to different tires because of the rain. Uh, This was absolute mayhem. You had every pit crew person running back and forth moving to try to get different tires on these cars. Um, Then the delay was finalized to produce a 15-minute start time. Um, once that 15 minutes was over and everybody had their tire situation set, the formation lap began under safety car. Um, during this, the rain started to really pour. A red flag was issued and all drivers went back to their garages. This went into a 45 minute rain delay from the FIA. Uh, so if you were watching coverage like I was, there was a good hour from when the race was supposed to start until it actually did. After the 45-minute delay and the rain moving out, a safety car start was initiated. All drivers started on wet tires under the safety car rules. And after two formation laps, we finally got racing on the third formation lap. Uh, The only note is, did you see these pit crew guys running up and down before the delay? Absolute mayhem. And I couldn't think of anything better than that these guys are the athletes. We need a pit crew all-star game, similar to maybe like a skills competition, just mid-season, throw the guys out there, quickest tire changes. We can do tire runs, um, car cool downs, jumping jacks, right? I don't have no idea, but this, it was so entertaining. It honestly, the pit crew was the story of the race. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. Maybe we should uh, pit the pit crews up against the uh, the cleanup team because the, cl- the cleanup team had a hell of a day once uh, Mick, Schumacher, Mick Schumacher split his car in half and they were running around at that hairpin turn uh, trying to, or I'm sorry, at the chicane trying to get all of the pieces of his car off the track. But yeah, between the, uh, the pit crews and the cleanup crew, uh, a day for athletes in Monaco. They they could not stop hyping up the stewards at Monaco or the race stewards on how how good they are at cleaning up and how they have everything under control, but that still didn't uh, stop them from getting a red flag under Mick. So, okay, um, after lap three, like I said, we had a everyone starting on wet. The main story coming out of the beginning of the race was Pierre Gasly starting in 17th. Um, I know a lot of eyes were on him as he was most selected, and he was really quick to come in to put on inters. Um, We had two crashes under the formations laps, Lance Stroll and Nicholas Latifi, and they immediately went in on inters, so that gave the Alpha Tauri pit bosses enough to move Gasly onto inters to see if he can make his way through the field as the track started to dry out. Pierre Gasly started to make some headway, started posting times 10, 15 seconds quicker than other cars on wets, and was making his way into the field. This caused the Ferrari pit crew and the Red Bull pit crew to call in people for enters. The only person that did not was Carlos Sainz, who actually was heard over pit radio refusing to get enters and wanted to go straight to slicks. Um, after a few interlaps, the track became completely dry, and this is where the mayhem began. Carlos Sainz comes in for the Ferrari to go right from wets to hard tires, followed by a double pit stop where Charles Leclerc switches out his fresh intermediates for hard tires as well. This allowed Sergio Perez to stay out on track and take over the lead of the Grand Prix. On the next lap, the Red Bulls pull a double pit of Perez and Verstappen right behind him. Perez is able to beat out uh, Carlos Sainz for the lead of the race out of pit lane followed by Max Verstappen coming out of the pits, and then a Charles Leclerc to fourth. Mike, so much drama here in the pits from the Ferrari and the Red Bull. My thoughts are, I think it was a mistake. And when I say it was a mistake, I'm not saying that it was a mistake in strategy. I think Ferrari called in Charles Leclerc and then asked him to go back out. And by the time they asked him to go back out, he was already in pit lane. It sounded like they were indecisive and ultimately their indecision led to Charles not winning this race. And I think that's ultimately all it really comes down to. If they make the decision to leave him out for another lap, they probably go one, three in this race instead of two, four. And we're talking about a very different story right now. Yeah, so it seems all based on Gasly's intermediate stint that it caused the leaders to think that they needed to go to Inters. Once Carlos signed declined Inters, they called in Charles Leclerc. Why they would call him in to pit the leader of the race, but that is when everything started to go hairy. Signs refusing and the pitting of Leclerc. Self-inflicting wounds happen in all of sports. But for a team of millions and millions of dollars and strategists and pit crews and pit bosses and drivers alike, Charles Leclerc listens and follows the rules and gets screwed by it at his home race. 
Yeah, really, really tough. Obviously, probably the worst place that this can happen for Charles. I'm not sure there's a single uh, circuit on the F1 schedule that this could happen. And it becomes as big of a story as it is, but it did. And it's not a place where you can really regain any type of uh, position. DRS opened around lap 31, but who really cares because you can't use it anyway. Um, it's, it's just a really unfortunate circumstance for Charles. Feel bad for him, but ultimately, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And there was still much more racing left after uh, this pit shakedown led to our top four. Kevin Magnussen goes out of the Haas, and then Mick Schumacher is very quick to slam it into the barriers immediately after, causing a safety car and then an eventual red flag that Mike mentioned earlier. This allowed all the drivers to pit. Um, I believe it was the Ferraris choosing to go on to fresh mediums while the Red Bulls stayed on old hard tires. Um, after the red flag, there was a point where... The FIA made a call on the three-hour time frame and the two-hour race time frame of the event. So a time limit was um, introduced to finish the race. They stopped counting down on laps and just stopped counting down from 30 minutes available. For the next 30 minutes, we had um, some decent racing. It was basically Checo Perez's race to lose, and he did not. Carlos Sainz found grip on the new medium tires and Perez was losing grip on his old hards but even when he was sending it and he really went for it he still just didn't have the room it's too easy to close the door on these tight streets there wasn't really a turn that anyone had a shot to even gain an advantage on and Sergio Perez comes out on yeah I mean big day big day for the Red Bulls specifically Checo Perez uh, he just had the pace over Max all week, which is an interesting story. I don't really know how to process it. And I don't really know why that was the case because Max is clearly the better driver on the team. But from free practice all the way through the race, he was very clearly the second driver in priority on the weekend as he should have been. Max's dad, not super happy about it, obviously. But um, if we're if we're being honest, that was the right call from the Red Bull team. Max was very clearly the slower car on the weekend, despite whatever Max's dad thinks. Um, but yeah, great for a uh, great weekend for Red Bull. Uh, also, you mentioned the both Haas's being the first to retire. Shout out Tom Riccardi and his favorite bet in F1. Haas first to retire. And actually a surprise of this year is these Haas retirements. It seems like they just continue to kick themselves in the rear end during these races when they have opportunities to score points and it seemed like they had pace too they just couldn't figure it out in qualifying and certainly couldn't figure it out during the race so Sergio Perez holds out um like I said for his third victory all time he now closes the gap from him to Charles Leclerc in second by six points in the driver's championship Max Verstappen still leads with 125 points as I said George Russell continues a hot streak of top five finishes in every race this season he's the only driver to score points in every race this year let alone finish in the top five and it's just real a tr real treat to watch because he's doing it in an inferior car and really make, making it look easy mike uh any final thoughts on the monaco grand prix uh, microclimates are crazy. Uh, I learned a lot about the F1 rules this week. Uh, it was, uh, it was kind of crazy. The common, the 
commentating team, it felt like they couldn't even figure out what was going on with the clock. I learned that if you uh, finish less than half the race, you get half the points. And if you finish less than three quarters of the race, you get uh, a portion of the points. Uh, you need to finish three quarters of the race to get the full points, which is what we, uh, which is what we got today. Um, other than that, not too much. Uh, I, I think the last thing of note that they mentioned is that this is the last year of the contract for the Monaco Grand Prix. I can't imagine that they're not going to re-sign a contract, but it was very well noted that this is not the driver's favorite track to race at, nor is it any team's favorite track to race at. Obviously a very scenic and very historic race, but not a favorite race on anybody's calendar. That will lead into the final question here. Is this track suitable for modern F1? Yeah, um, I, I don't know, Frank. I, I think there's, for me, no. Does it does it suit modern racing? No. Do they have to change some things? Yes. Will they? I have no idea. But given the amount of money that the FIA pours into this race every year and the sponsorships that are surrounding it, I think money is ultimately going to talk and they're going to renew the contract. What they change, no idea. Well, I see the historic value. Um, I think there will be a lot of chatter about this. Yes, I know nothing about F1 contracts and racing contracts and how all this really works, but it seems like this question is very pressing currently, and uh, that will be interesting to see how these uh, how it shakes out. Yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting. I-, I think my last note on Monaco is Carlos Sainz is starting to become really annoying. Like blaming it, saying he's not winning the race because of uh, lapped vehicles at the end, like in his end press conference. Like, come on, man. Like you weren't you weren't getting past Checo. It just wasn't happening. I agree with you, but I saw that actual footage of him getting held up by Alex Albon on his uh, outlap. And it's bad. Like he gets held up for a full second just trying to pass a bench, uh, um, a lapped driver and they could have shown that and it would have made a lot more sense at the end of the race when he's whining about it. He would have been like, Oh, I saw that. I saw the issues that happened, but instead they just don't cover any of it. And then you see him whining at the end and you're like, this has no context. He just sounds like he's whining. You know what, Frank, that's fair. I I didn't necessarily see it. And that's the problem. I agree. He wasn't going to win, but yes, that is, I, I found that interesting because you also, or somebody else also mentioned that. And then I saw the actual footage and I was like, Oh, he really did get held up there. Whether he wins or not, whole different story. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, him blaming that on the loss, that's a little bit far-fetched. Yeah, no, I agree. All right, Mike, that will bring us to our pool recap. And what a recap this will be. Four, six straight races, we have had a leader in Mr. Tom Riccardi. He's joined the show to talk about his lead. And now, hopefully, he'll have to talk about his lead diminishing. Because he is no longer our leader. Mr. Sean Hutton now becomes our leader with 95 points. Nick Cirillo, second place run continue. Tom Riccardi, as I said, drops down from first to third place. Corey Cook with a strong Sergio Perez showing bumps up all the way to fourth place. Liam Callahan followed by yours truly, Frank Skrzewski in sixth. Michael O'Byrne, Evan Pendergrass, and Daniel Shuck. Uh, James Lowe also making a bump up here, as well as Gino with a very nice Sergio Perez pick. 
As I said, Corey, Evan, and Gino all took Perez. I think it was a ballsy decision to take Checo here, um, but it really paid off. The interesting point will be our leader. Our leader, Sean, has now jumped into first place, but at what cost? Selecting Charles Leclerc as his wild card this week. So while he did get enough points to jump into first, will it be enough to sustain? I don't know. We had another Charles Leclerc wild card as well, and I don't believe that was the result uh, they were looking for in those selections. Yeah, no, definitely uh, interesting. There's going to be a lot of jumbling of the standings around this time of year. Um, A lot of people who took a lot of uh, hashtag big names only at the beginning of the season are forced into taking either some middle or some back of the pack drivers. So they're going to start falling down the standings. Uh, I ended up taking Lando Norris this week and getting a P6 plus a point for fastest lap. Uh, You do not get that point. That's ridiculous. We should change that. Um, Yeah, that's a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) um, But yeah, so it's it's one of those things where you're going to have to start taking some interesting drivers. If I was Sean, I definitely wouldn't be comfortable with taking my wild card and getting a P4 out of it. But I'm also not comfortable with me taking Max Verstappen week one and getting no points out of it. So there's going to be a lot of things going on. And ultimately, there is a lot of racing still to go. I was going to say that uh, as somebody who took Charles Leclerc and finished with a P6, I believe, um, in a race that I thought he was destined to win, I was not happy, but a uh, wild card selection. And this is how this is going to shake down. Um, wild cards are going to be big plays, as well as uh, something I think people are continually forgetting is how these preseason selections of constructors and drivers will pay out there's 50 points available if you pick the correct constructor and driver at the beginning of the year that's really going to shake up the standings towards the end as michael alluded to his selection i will um let you know mine i finally pulled the trigger mike did you take nick latifi Latifi. there you go and honestly the most upsetting part about it he had a really good race he did he He actually did he had a really good race he i think he finished as high as 15th or 14th um and stayed you know Anything, I guess, uh, Nicholas Latifi finishing any race is good at this point. But uh, to come, uh, you know, five spots up, I thought it was actually pretty impressive for him. So uh, I was pretty happy with that. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, definitely. I mean, you don't expect Nicholas Latifi to, to get you points. Obviously, you're taking Nicholas Latifi and assuming that you're just going to get a zero on the board, which you got. But that's, I think, given kind of everything that was happening at Monaco, that's uh, that's you you got what you expected to get. And now you can move on. Yes, I, I got it out of the way. Um, some other participants in our pool also got some bottom feeders out of the way in Guan Yu Zhou and Nicholas Latifi due to uh, these double picks and a, one no pick as well from Mr. Daniel Shuck. So like you said, I don't think you can be comfortable because one win will fly you up to standings, but also some of these teams have not even selected a top four driver. So it, we're in for a nice rest of the season with that being said mike we are one third of the season through this is that was race seven at monaco there will be 22 races on the calendar this year so we're right around this uh one third mark i want to just go over the driver standings with you i will list the top 10 as well as the top 10 in constructors with uh, the point totals. Max Verstappen is your championship leader with 125 points. 
followed closely by Charles Leclerc at 116. Sergio Perez on his third career victory moves up to third with 110 points. George, top five Russell with 84 points. Carlos Sainz with 83 points. Lewis Hamilton with 50 Lando Norris with 48, Valtteri Bottas with 40, Esteban Ocon with 30, and Kevin Magnussen with 15. That is your top 10 in the driver standings, and I will go for the constructors now. Red Bull with 235 points, Ferrari uh, behind them by 36 points at 199, Mercedes about uh, 60 points under Ferrari at 134, McLaren at 59 Alfa Romeo at 41, Alpine at 40, Alfa Tauri at 17, Haas at 15, Aston Martin at 7, and Williams rounding out the pack at 3. As far as the top five drivers are concerned, I think you expected to see some of this combination, with the exception of George Russell. I mean, we've talked about it before, but George is definitely overperforming based on what we thought he was going to do at the beginning of the season. Good for him. It's uh, surprising he's in fourth when you hear that he's uh, gotten top fives in every race this season and finished every race this season. Um, it's also surprising that Sergio Perez is uh, sneaky, like in the driver's championship race now after this win. And oh, by the way, the next race is in Azerbaijan where he has won before in this car. So uh, not a ton of surprises, but maybe kind of surprises about how we got here. Just a note, some guys who are putting the team on their back. Uh, Alfa Romeo is fifth in the Constructors' Championships with 41 points. Um, Valtteri Botas with 40 of those points. So Shout out Guan Yu Zhou and his first point on the first race of the year in Bahrain. Also, uh, Esteban Ocon uh, in the Alpine, 30 of the 40 points that Alpine has in, in sixth place. So... I would expect that Alpha probably not sustainable to stay up there in fifth, getting only results out of Valtteri Botas. But I guess we'll see. Um, you're not throwing. You're not throwing it to the Kevin Magnuson 15 points, Hots 15 points. Yeah, I mean we can talk about that. Uh, Mick Schumacher potentially on the hot seat. They are not very happy with Mick and his performance in that car. Yes. Yeah, so through seven races here. Um, we can break down some of this lower card stuff. Uh, it looks like Nicholas Latifi is on his way out at uh, the Williams, and it looks that Mick Schumacher could lose his seat as well this season if he does not start to perform. This is the second time he's completely obliterated a chassis in a car, losing, costing a ton of money, and especially with this um, salary cap this year on spending, it'll be interesting to see what they do because smaller teams like this just cannot afford to be making million dollar mistakes also i noted um i saw an instagram post let me see if i can pull it up here of the 2023 grid um the f1 posted after checo signed and i thought it was very interesting so red bull you have locked up now with checo signing for two more years with max verstappen and sergio perez Worth noting, he made a joke at the end of the race to to uh, Christian Horner about him signing too early. I thought that was very funny as well. Very funny, um, and then it just came out like the next day. They're just like, "Oops!" Like, yeah. Well, they asked him about it in the press conference, and he he just like shook it off. Yeah, what do you say? Like the champagne popped too early or something? Yeah, yeah something exactly. Ridiculous. So the Red Bull seats are both guaranteed, as are the Ferraris of Leclerc and Signs. 
Lewis Hamilton, George Russell as well for Mercedes, Lando Norris, and Daniel Ricciardo still will be under contract. Once again, he is another person that's kind of been on the hot seat, especially yeah. with um, the way um, things are shaking up in IndyCar. It really looks like um, Colton Herta is going to take this seat any day now from Daniel Ricciardo. Would love to see Daniel Ricciardo in IndyCar. Made for America. I would love. I would. I would honestly love the swap. Uh, Colton Hurt is a very exciting racer, and it's going to be really cool to see him on the grid uh, sometime soon. Valtteri Bottas and Guan Yu Zhou is not signed, so there is an open seat currently at at Alpha Romeo. Esteban Ocon is signed at Alpine for another year, but Fernando Alonso is not. Kevin Magnussen will be signed at Haas for another year, as he signed a two-year deal. Mick Schumacher is not. Both Williams drivers are not under contract. Both Aston Martin drivers are not under contract. And both Alpha Towery drivers are not under contract. So in a year that saw very limited replacements, Guan Yu Zhou being the only rookie on the um, grid this season and Kevin Magnuson coming in late for Mazdapin, there could be as many as six, seven available seats this season so um it really is going to ask these people lower on the grid to start performing because it's put up or shut up time in these next uh in this next third i would say because you will see in f1 which is um, unique to f1 they will just make these decisions mid-season people will lose jobs new drivers will enter we will talk about um the ruling and how we will handle that in the pool um a little bit later once uh that becomes more relevant information but Things can shake up pretty quickly here as we look forward into the rest of the year. Yeah, I was, um, as I mentioned, I'm in Perrysburg, Ohio right now. Uh, Kate, my girlfriend's dad, is a very big F1 guy, and I took a note from him last night. He actually implied that the that uh, Sebastian Vettel might be retiring at the end of the season, and despite Mick Schumacher's poor performance, that the Aston Martin team is looking at signing Mick Schumacher basically because his name is Mick Schumacher. Vettel looks like he's going to run for the Congress equivalent in Germany. He's, he's looking more as a politician now and an a, uh, activist than he is a F1 driver. He seems to just be using this platform and uh, making his last paycheck. Um, also, that Aston Martin thing kind of goes into who's going to buy him. It seems like Papa Stroll and Lance probably done after this year. Well, I can tell you Lance is – if Papa Stroll is done, Lance is done. That's, no, definitely, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> um, it seems like uh, that experiment it might not be working out with the, the Audi and uh, Porsche news coming in earlier this year of their interest and also uh, Andretti Motorsports trying to get onto the F1 grid. I don't think Aston Martin as a company and as a team will be there um, on the F1 grid next season. So, Michael, um, that kind of rounds out our uh, third season recap. Um, what are your real thoughts on how it's been shaken out so far through seven races? I mean, I, I kind of referenced it earlier, but we are pretty much where we thought we would be, um, at least in my eyes. I took Red Bull to win the Constructors, maybe a little bit more of a commanding lead than I thought they would have at the third uh, pole of the season. Ferrari definitely, I think they would tell you they've underperformed through the first third of the season and they would expect to be in the lead right now um mercedes needs to figure out some things i was expecting them to more pull vault into the kind of like that second spot they're sitting in a commanding lead in third uh but 
they, they, they definitely have some more things that they need to figure out. Um, as far as the drivers are concerned, George Russell is really the only surprise. I think everything else, everything else is shaking out the way that we expected. Yeah. The Lewis Hamilton being so low and being basically completely out of it is obviously the biggest shock, but I think at this point we're kind of past that. This yeah, is all, also this Carlos, is all kind of shaken out immediately. And you knew Lewis didn't have a shot after what, two races. Yeah, for sure. And he said, so said as much himself and Carlos signs, like he should be higher. He should be higher than fifth. He has a better car than that. We didn't talk about this, but once again, a second place completely uninspired. Didn't show me anything. Kind of just locked into it at Monaco. It's just, I, I don't see, I don't know what people see in this guy. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's tough to take anything from Monaco and say you either raced poorly or not, just given what you're able to do at the. Oh, track, he kept, but... especially with the conditions, he kept the car alive and finished the race. All the credit to him. Yeah, I mean, I'm hyping Nicholas Latifi for doing it, so I can't <laughs> knock Carlos Sainz for doing it. But it just seems like such so uninspired of a uh, a second place again from Carlos Sainz, just an uninspired driver at the moment. He's certainly not putting together anything to put on the highlight reel. No, most definitely not, other than getting blocked by Alex Albon on an outlap. <laughs> Shout out Alex Albon, got me points. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, So we will um wrap that up here. I think uh, the first seven races of the season have given an interesting outlook to our listeners and the F1 viewers this year because the dominance has not been there. This kind of happened last year and Red Bull went on a run after a uh, seven race dominance by Mercedes to begin the season. And that's how we got to a close championship. This kind of seems the other way. Red Bull has kind of pretty much dominated and would quietly would be very far ahead without Max DNFing twice on strictly, uh, reliability issues Sergio Perez also DNFing with a lap left in the second race of the year to DNF they could be they're already 40 points ahead they're 36 but could they have been 100 points ahead for not some reliability issues and some um just questionable situations you would never know because uh Ferrari had every opportunity to run away with this in the beginning of the season and it seems like they just kind of gave it up yeah, I, I said quietly, but maybe what I mean is I don't think Red Bull perceives as if they've put on their best performance. They could definitely be running away with both the constructors and the drivers championships. And to a certain extent, they are, but it doesn't really feel like it. Yes, no, absolutely not. And uh, just because you mentioned that I have Max Verstappen winning the drivers championship, but I pick Ferrari to win the constructors. And at this rate... They're going to be lucky to not get passed by Mercedes. If Mercedes finds pace here, I think Ferrari could finish as low as third. That would be a huge disappointment for them. They had very high aspirations going into the season. Well, absolutely, and especially the way everything shook up after a couple races. Uh, I, I just don't see how they could finish anything less than second here. So uh, they really need to uh, kind of figure out and regroup after this, uh, this two-week break and then uh, really show something here in Baku as we move forward. Isn't it crazy, though, that in order for Mercedes to do that, Lewis Hamilton is the one that needs to step up and figure it out? So who's the second? Who is the best second driver on the grid? <laughs> it might be Lewis Hamilton. It's certainly not Carlos Sainz. I just wouldn't have picked Checo Perez to be this dominating force that we've seen in the beginning of the year. He's outperformed Max Verstappen at times. He's consistently done it with a smile on his face. His qualifying mistakes have been um, 
lessened and he's really starting to qualify well and and the racing has just been impeccable so while red bull has this dominating force uh, they might have a little bit of a team orders game they might have to play themselves i would only take one one issue with what you said i sergio perez definitely was the better driver this week i don't know that i've looked at any of the races to this point and said sergio perez has had more pace in any of these races with the exception of this one all right, that will um, wrap up this week's episode. We Next week, uh, before the Azerbaijan race, we will go into a preview of the Baku City Circuit and the race itself, while also providing uh, some predictions for the rest of the season. I would like to, once again, thank you all for listening. It's a true pleasure to do this each week with a good friend of mine and to put this out for your listening um, enjoyment. I think it's adding a lot to the pool, and I hope you continue to enjoy it. If you guys could please like, review, and subscribe on either Apple or Spotify, we would greatly appreciate it. If we could see some comments coming in, just give me a thumbs up. Give me, give me anything. Give me a look. Show me a sign. Let me know you're alive out there, people. All right, Mike, uh, anything left to say uh, on this episode before we close it out here? Uh, I mean, no, not really. I guess Monaco was everything we expected it to be in a way that was very unexpected. A lot, a lot of everything that had going on had to do with like the weather and the decision making going on. Um, but also, uh, everybody out there that's listening, let's, uh, maybe if Frank throws a Q and a form on the next, uh, on the next email that throws out there, maybe ask us some questions. Let's get some of your feedback, see what you guys want to hear about. Um, definitely love to include that in the next episode. We will give you an Azerbaijan preview. Um, also, I will add a uh, available spot to uh, allow listeners to drop questions into the form. Uh, it'll be completely voluntary, but if you want to kind of throw out some questions, just general questions about F1, um, what we think about the season moving forward or past episode or past races, um, feel free. So that concludes our episode. Once again, I am at the F609, your commissioner, Mr. Frank Skrzewski. I want to thank my co-host as always, Mr. Michael O'Byrne, live from somewhere in God's country, Ohio. As always, like like that poor Williams pit crew member squeegeeing water away from the Williams garage, push, push. Push, push, F. You pumped for this winning? Uh, I mean... Yeah, the hair's going to be up and ready to party. Like, I'm (laughs) ready to be a good time.